0: Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is coming. Our text for our sermon is Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. To the messenger of the church in Philadelphia, write The Holy One, the one who is true, the one who has the key of David, the one who opens and no one can shut, and the one who shuts and no one can open says this I know your works. Look, I have set before you an open door which no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Look, I will make those who are from the synagogue of Satan, who say they are Jews and are not but are lying, look, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them realize that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will also keep you from the hour of testing, which is about to come over the whole inhabited world to test those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. The one who is victorious, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God and he will never leave it again. I will also write on them the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Whoever has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of our Lord. Today, we continue our series, Questions to Ask Ourselves, as we read the messages to the seven churches. Now, brothers and sisters in Christ, today we are on the second to the last church in these messages, not chronologically, but in order. And the Church of Philadelphia, did you catch this? God has nothing but praise for them. There are no wrongs. And so today the question we will ask is based on an encouragement he spells out for them. As usual, I'll be preaching on my own translation of the inspired Greek language from this point forward. He says, I have perceived your works. Pay close attention. I have granted in your presence a door which has been opened. No one is able to shut it. This is clearly a door of evangelism, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so today we will ask the question, what door is the Lord opening up for us? Now... In every one of these messages, there's an attribute that's emphasized of Christ that that John had seen in in what we call the first chapter now of Revelation that he saw when Christ first appeared to him. But every one of these begin first with next to the messenger of the assembly and then it adds to the church in Philadelphia. Let me begin this one by reminding you what uh, the word I translate as assembly ecclesia. It means those called out. We have been called out of the sinfulness of this world, out of the selfishness, out of the self-serving ways, out of slavery to the devil. We have been called to be God's children, to be beloved by the Lord, to show God's love, to gather together, to be encouraged by his word with that love and to encourage each other with that love. But he addresses it to the messenger. In every one of these congregations, as there is all over, God has always appointed someone who has the Word, who is to make sure it is being taught with its truth and purity. They are not to hog the Word. They distribute that word out among those who are assembled, making sure that they are teaching it in its truth and purity that all of us work with the word. It is never one single person's responsibility. So to encourage Philadelphia, this message is given to a messenger who will distribute it among the lay people who will share it with each other. And as I mentioned, there's always an attribute of Christ. And in here, it's to show that he has the power to give them this encouragement. And the very first one that's listed is the one who keeps on being holy. Now, that attribute was seen when John sees the uh, exalted Lord all shining in white, the holy one. And it's a reminder for us. You and I are not holy this side of heaven. We have a sinful nature. And man, is it a selfish, rotten thing. And if we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit we are going to hell if left to our own devices. But God is holy and he took on human flesh to be holy in our place. It is his holiness that saves us. It is his holiness credited to us. And it says the next attribute that is listed is that he is the true one, the one who keeps on being true. Today we would say genuine. He is the true God. There's no other way before the throne of God than Jesus Christ, who is true God, who became true man. And that's important to recognize because here in a few verses, he's going to mention the synagogue of Satan, people who have rejected him as the true God, who need to know they cannot be saved by their inheritance, by their DNA code. We are saved by the true God becoming true man who saved us. And the last attribute that's mentioned, and there's quite a commentary on it, is the one who keeps on having the key of David. And so he spells that out, the one who opens and no one can shut, and the one who shuts and no one can open. Now... Earlier on in chapter 1 in Revelation, verse 18, John describes us, he says, And the one who keeps on living and became dead and pay very close attention, I continue being alive forever and ever. I keep holding the keys of death and of Hades. Jesus is the one, and when he uses the key that unlocks the door to heaven for a person, he at the same time locks the key to hell. They can't go to hell, they're going to heaven. But when he locks the door to heaven and unlocks the door to hell. That means they can't go to heaven, they're only going to hell. But actually, if we understand our scriptures, he's saying even more here than just the one who has given you, uh, has the keys to eternal life. And as he talks about the keys of David, that goes back to Isaiah chapter 22, verses 15 through 25, where the steward of the king's treasury, Shebna, is abusing it. He's being unfaithful. And he's exalting himself in ways that disgusts the Lord. And so in Isaiah 22, uh, the Lord tells him that, he is, that uh, through the prophet Isaiah that he would be taking the keys away from him and that he gave them. He did give them to Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, who was a faithful steward. So the guy who has the keys to the king's treasure chest, Jesus is using beautiful imagery here to say not only does he uh, unlock heaven for you and lock hell, But he's the one who dispenses out his grace. Not only have you been saved, which is the great act of his love and his grace, he's given you spiritual gifts and through you he gives our entire congregation, our assembly, the gifts it needs to fight the things we need to fight and to stand in the encouragement we need to stand in. And he makes it clear that... What he locks, no one opens. What he opens, no one shuts. So he's the one who distributes those. So what door is the Lord opening for us? The attribute of Christ they needed is that he is the true and holy keeper of the keys, uh, of dispensing out his grace, which is first and foremost our salvation, and then all the various gifts that follow that. He continues on in verse 8, I have perceived... And I've said in every one of these, the word used for knowledge here is one through seeing. And it reminds us back in Revelation 1 verse 14 where we were told his eyes were as flames of fire. He is all knowing. Nothing escapes his gaze. He can penetrate through our thoughts and read our intentions and our hearts. And here it's meant very positively. I have perceived your works. Now he stops there with the parenthetical remark. Pay close attention. I have granted in your presence a door which has been opened. No one is able to shut it. And then he continues with the works he has perceived. So let me read this again. I have perceived your works and go right to the works. You keep on having little power and that you guarded my word and that you did not renounce my name. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are a little church. We have little power. It seems sometimes like God has locked His little dispensary of grace to us, right? Philadelphia would probably be thinking the same things. He says, I've seen your works, that you keep on having little power and that you've guarded my word. Now, they didn't guard their word like they locked it up and put a chain on it and said, don't you guys ever dare touch it. They've been Bereans. They've searched the word. They have learned the law and the gospel. And faithfulness to God's word means knowing You don't just beat people over the head with the law when they need forgiveness and you don't go rushing in giving people forgiveness when they don't even know they've sinned or realize it. They've been faithful with learning the word of God, of knowing it and applying it in the various passages that teach us how to use God's word to guide our lives. And he says, not only does he know that they've watched his word, he says, and that you did not renounce my name. In a minute, he's going to mention the synagogue of Satan. We can probably deduce that they've been persecuted by some of the Jews in their community. There has been persecution for Philadelphia. And yet, not one of them turned around and was willing to say, I'm not a Christian. No one seems to have died, but under this persecution, they have remained faithful. And remember, God's name is his reputation. God's name is what the Bible tells us he does, especially for us. What it reveals for us that we otherwise wouldn't know Like, for example, that He's our Savior, and so the Hebrew name for Savior, which equates through Greek, Jesus. They never renounce the work of Christ in any way. And what we get out of this as we ask this, as we build up answering the question, what door is the Lord opening for us, is faithfulness to the Word has nothing to do with the congregation's size or resources. It has to do with us cherishing His Word, coming to study it, hear it as you are now, and applying it in our lives, knowing how to properly use the law and the gospel. Verse 9 continues, he says, Pay close attention. I am giving out of the synagogue of Satan those who are saying they are Jews, and yet they are not, but they are liars. Pay close attention. I will make them so that they will become present, and then they will bow down in the presence of you guys' feet so that they may know that I myself love you. Now, what is the door that has been opened for Philadelphia? It is spelled out here, and we can miss there was already an open door. If he's talking to them about the conversion of their Jewish neighbors in their community, that means that the church in Philadelphia is primarily Gentiles. There had already been a door opened in Philadelphia, and the Gentiles had come to believe. But think about hearing somebody who hates you for your belief, who fights against you, who constantly has to be a thorn in your side and will not let you glorify God if they have anything to do with it, who are the devil's tool because he calls them the synagogue of Satan. He says, I am giving. It's the present tense in the Greek language. That means the wheels are already in motion. It's not fully there yet, but it is, it is already coming. You can see the door is open. The people in Philadelphia will be wise to step through the door. Otherwise, the Lord will have to give them a little nudge because he's opening up the door for him. But he says of them who are saying they are Jews and they are not. See, the whole point of even the Old Testament was, as my catechism kids keep learning, the Savior is coming. And when he came, they missed it. The whole point of the scripture. So he says, but they are liars. So he says, pay close attention. I will make them so that they will become present. Stop and think about that. If suddenly your enemies were present in our physical gathering together to encourage each other, wouldn't that be scary? Think about when God told the Christian man that he was sending this Saul guy, and he says, I don't want him in my presence. You've made a mistake, Lord. He persecutes Christians. Nope. I'm sending him. This is what I'm calling you to do. And then they will bow down. Now, normally when somebody bows down, the Greek word used here, it's to Jesus because they're worshiping him. It's worship. When they bow down to a human being, when this Greek word is used, it means they recognize who has the authority. And it's the person who has the word of God. I want to emphasize that. Because sometimes the one that the Lord gives as a messenger, we think they're wrong. Who has the authority when we think, for example, that our pastor's screwing up? It's the one who actually has the Word of God. Because the Word of God is the authority. So they're going to bow down and recognize these people, these Philadelphians. They're the ones who actually have God's authority because they've got God's word right. They see Christ, the God-man, the true, the genuine, holy one, as the center and the Savior. And so they will bow down in the presence of you guys' feet so that they may know that I myself love you. Jesus says this in a tense that says it's a done deal. I love you guys in Philadelphia. So why will they bow down? Knowing God's love, well, the people in Philadelphia are going to show God's love to their one-time enemies. They will see, because they've been guarding the word. Guess what, brothers and sisters in Christ? They're not backstabbing each other. They're not sitting around doing nothing. They're not out partying like the other congregations and, and, and practicing adultery. Because they've got the word right, that word is growing God's love in them. And so that love is going to empower them to love their enemies, which is going to be one of the ways that they can say, wow, God really loves you. So we see as we ask the question, what door is the Lord opening up for us? We see in Philadelphia, their open door was the conversion of the Gentiles already. And it would be many Jews who had persecuted them. Now, what about us? What is our open door? we've got to recognize faithfulness to the word of God opens doors. Evangelism is always the open door, but we forget that evangelism is not just reaching out to the people outside of our church. Evangelism is from the word to proclaim the good news. It includes what we call in-reach. And brothers and sisters in Christ, we are a small church, but I'm going to tell you, small churches may not have the resources of big churches, but do you know what small churches are really good at? They're really good at loving each other. When we're in the word of God and we love, when we don't make faulty assumptions, when we see a brother or sister in Christ hurting and we say, it's my responsibility. What an open door we have as we show love to each other. And I often wonder when it comes to outreach evangelism, What doors has the Lord opened for our little congregation here in Casper, Wyoming? Now, it's my opinion, and if you want to argue against me, I won't say that you're sinning. It's my opinion that that opening picnic at Casper Community College is definitely a door that we can go through. Because it's not just, although it's great that it is, college students. It's a community event. And as we do this, uh, the three uh, members of this church that help with that ministry, as we do it, Every year we start learning, oh, here's how we do it more. This is how we do it better and better. And this year, it was really neat. But you know, another open door I often wonder that maybe, maybe we might be missing, and many of you aren't at all to your credit. We seem to be a parking lot for Casper Mountain, don't we? In the summertime, people park here to run up to the mountain with their friends. And in the wintertime, they park in our parking lot to ski. And I will admit, it is frustrating when some of them break down and park in places that make it a real pain in the neck to plow and for us to park on Sundays. But we put cards on those door windows. I'm here the most. Sometimes I forget to do that. But there seems to be a door there. And we just got to put our Christian heads together and say, how can we use this to say, hey, come worship with us? The Lord opens many doors. Selfishness, we can miss them. And sometimes it's a lesson for us. I can tell you in my life, I've seen times when the Lord, even before I was a pastor, opened a door for me and I missed it and had to pray for forgiveness. But what we do see is our open door is evangelism through faithfulness to the word. The various applications, we just need to be on the lookout for. In verse 10, he says... Because you guarded the word about my patient endurance, I myself will also guard you from, out of, away from, the hour of examining, which is about to be coming upon the whole inhabited earth in order to examine those residing upon the earth. A lot is said here, but let me focus, first of all, how carefully I had to translate, because you guarded the word about my patient endurance. Literally, the Greek is, because you guarded the word of my patient endurance. I translated it about because this word is about Christ patiently enduring. This is the gospel, brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the good news that God became a man. And even as a child, when Herod threatened to kill him, there were things he had to endure. Joseph and Mary had to flee to Egypt to protect that life. The devil tempted him throughout his ministry. We have the, very, uh, the most uh, epitome example of that when shortly after he's baptized, he's out in the desert. We see his patient endurance with disciples who, no matter how many times Jesus told them, I'm going to Jerusalem to die, to tell them it's about my love for you and my grace, kept hearing earthly kingdom, earthly kingdom, earthly kingdom. It's his patient endurance, especially as he lives holy and true in our place. But the epitome of that patient endurance is what we celebrate, especially in Lent when he went to that cross and endured being abandoned by God for my rotten, miserable sins and your rotten, miserable sins and rose victorious over it. They have guarded the good news of salvation in Christ. It was not cheap, but it is free for you and I. And there seems to be an examination coming. Now, we normally translate this testing, but the Greek word used here, I've told you in the past, is if you sit down and examine a frog like when you were in high school, biology, you cut the thing apart you couldn't put it back together and make it live. And that's what the devil has in mind. The devil has in mind to rip you apart. He will find the ways in which you 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 sin, in which you struggle with sin. He will find your pet sins. He will find the areas where you don't love, the areas where you fall into self-pity. And he will use them to examine you and make you fall from your faith. He is trying to find the hook that he can use to rob your soul from God's kingdom. God often will allow some of that. He holds a lot of it back, but he uses it to examine us. Now, when God examines us, God knows everything. Jesus is true, true, genuine, holy. He knows everything. He's got the flaming eyes. When he allows you to undergo an examination, it's not so that the devil can rip you apart and make you fall from the faith. It's to show you where either A, your faith is weak, where you're not showing his love, where you're not trusting in him, or B, to show you where your faith is strong. In both cases, then he uses it to keep you and strengthen you in your faith again through that word. So there appears there's going to be an examination coming to the whole world. And it may, it's clearly spiritual. I'm going to protect you so that you don't fall, my darling little congregation in Philadelphia but there may very well be here a temporal where he says, I'm going to put my hand right over the city of Philadelphia and that rave of Roman persecution is going to jump right over you and you'll be completely spared it. And it's a reminder for us as we ask the question, what door is the Lord opening for us? Faithfulness to the word of God gives God's protection. We can guarantee it's a spiritual protection, but it often gives temporal protection such as our very lives. But if they take our life, he spiritually protected us and we go to heaven. The last three verses says, I am coming quickly. He says that in the present tense. Christ is always coming. He comes to us through his word and sacraments. But one day he will come to us as a final judgment. I am coming quickly. You are to keep on holding tightly to what you keep on having so that no one may take your victory crown. You believe in Christ. You are already saved. So his message to Philadelphia is his message to you, which you are doing. God bless you. You are coming to hear the word. He says, keep doing that so that you don't forfeit. I've already given you the prize, eternal life. Stay in my word so that when the devil comes at you, you stay firm and don't forfeit. Christ has given you the victory crown. It's eternal life. It's forgiveness. It's salvation. Then in verse 12, he says, as to the one who keeps on conquering, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God and he will never again go outside away from it. And I will write the name of my God upon him. And I will write upon him the name of the city of my God. That is the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of the heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my name, specifically the new one. I could write a sermon on this verse. I'm not going to. Something we have to understand. Each one of these messages are for all of Christendom. But each one of these messages is custom tailored to that particular congregation as well. Philadelphia was on a fault line and it was rocked by earthquakes. So when he says, I, am, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, we have to recognize he's saying these earthquakes aren't going to shake it. And it's interesting, he says, he, and he will never again go outside away from it. When Christ comes and gives you and I the new heavens and the new earth, we will never forfeit that. We worry today, what if I fall from my faith? What if I embrace that sin of hatred or animosity or that sin of despising the word of God? What? And, and, but he says, no, when I return, I'm going to rip all things sinful away. You will never have to worry about the gates of hell overcoming the gates of heaven. And a beautiful picture is there. Uh, in his first epistle, Peter describes you as a priest who makes up the bricks... That are the temple of God. So you already are the bricks. You're already a priest. But he's saying you will also be a permanent pillar in that temple. And then he says, I will write upon him the name name of my God. You have that name written on you now. Christian. 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 And it's going to remain on you forever. Another way, he says, the gates of hell will not take you when I return. And he says, and I will write upon him the name of the city of my God. That is the new Jerusalem. This is the invisible church. And Revelation makes it clear that invisible church will be made visible. As a believer, you are already a member of that invisible church. But he's saying here, you are a citizen and forever you will remain a citizen of his bride, the invisible church, the new Jerusalem. And he says, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will write upon him my name, specifically the new one. The name that stands out for us for Christ right now is Jesus Christ. Jesus, Savior, Christ, the one anointed to save us. But when heaven is yours... Your sinful nature will be ripped away. You will never be able to forfeit that. And when Christ returns, his role is going to change. He will have a new name, a new reputation, a new vocation in that aspect, even though he will always be God, and so will you. So that new name written on you means all eternity is always yours. Even though your relationship with Christ is going to change, it's going to change for the better. So he wraps this whole letter up by saying, the one who keeps on having ears is to hear what the Spirit is saying to the assemblies. We've covered this in every one of these. We conquer by remaining in the word and we continue hearing the word and the Holy Spirit works through that word to strengthen our faith. So in verses 11 through 13, as we ask the question, what door is the Lord opening up for us? We see the door remains open as we remain faithful to the word. Remaining faithful to the word will always open up a door for us for inreach and outreach. So as we ask the question today, what door is the Lord opening up for us? we see the attribute of Christ that the Philadelphians needed and we need is that he is the true and holy keeper of the keys. We see faithfulness to the word has nothing to do with the congregation size or resources. We see the open door was conversion of Gentiles for Philadelphia and then many Jews who had persecuted them. We see our open door is evangelism through faithfulness to the word. That means we have both in reach and outreach to do. And we see faithfulness to the word gives God's protection, both especially spiritual, but also at times temporal. And the door remains open as we remain faithful to the word. Amen. Now may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe, so that you overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.